Welcome to The Podlight, the audio collaboration between Silicon Valley Synergy and San Jose Spotlight. I'm your host, Bob Stedler. We have a great show today. We'll be talking about the Bay Area flea market project, the Valley water rate increases, and the City of San Jose code enforcement backlog. Joining me today is Nick Preciado, editor for San Jose Spotlight. Hey, thanks for having me, Bob. So the first item is the barriers of flea market item, very controversial. Uh, this development project has been marching towards the finish line for years. The current flea market footprint is 61 acres and is being reduced. Originally it was going to be 3.5 acres and now they propose five acres. So Nick, what is the scope of the development project? So the development project, it's called the Berryessa Bart Urban Village Plan. It's a multi-unit housing and commercial space. Um, it's proposed to encompass about 61 and a half to 62 acres of the San Jose flea market site uh, that's located on Berryessa Road near 101. Uh, right now, the site is zoned to include up to 365,000 square feet of commercial space and up to 2,800 residential units. If the project moves forward, though, uh, with a city council vote, it could allow up to 3.4 million square feet for commercial space and up to a little under 3,500 residential units. Um, that's, of course, if the plan goes through. It will also reduce the flea market's footprint from approximately 15 acres to 5 acres. That's about a third of the space compared to what exists right now. So that really means that vendors are going to either have to shrink their existing businesses or they're going to have to find a completely new location to operate. Um, there are about 430 vendors there now who collectively rent out about 700 to 750 stalls. It's not quite clear how many vendors are actually going to be able to operate in this new space. Um, a representative for the project said at the meeting last night that uh, under the proposal, uh, there's an open plaza that's being presented and that there's a plan that they could open the streets around the plaza on the weekend that would expand the market space, but there's still no defined number as to how many vendors would actually operate in that space. So what are the flea market vendors saying about the reduction? Yeah, there was a lot of concern at the planning commission meeting about the future of these flea market vendors. Many vendors and their family members spoke out at the meeting. Some who've sold goods there for generations who grew up going to the flea market and now even take their own kids there. Um, the majority of speakers and just about every vendor asked commissioners to deny the plan, citing the displacement of hundreds of vendors. One vendor in particular, Manuel Rivera, he said he's worked with his sister at the flea market since 1978. He asked commissioners as well, what will happen to all the people who've been there for generations? Uh, there's also um, an advocacy group that represents the market's vendors, the Berryessa Flea Market Vendors Association. They're pretty much opposed to the plan across the board. Uh, the association president, Roberto Gonzalez, spoke last night. Uh, he's also a vendor at the flea market. He called the plan deeply flawed and inequitable. So where does the city of San Jose stand on this proposal? Well... Uh, the city definitely wants this project to move forward. Um, these plans for this urban market are part of a larger effort stemming from the nearby BART station. Uh, the area as a whole is envisioned as a dense housing and commercial neighborhood centered around that one transit stop. Um, advocates of the plan say that it'll cut down on the city's carbon footprint and encourage more people to take public transit near where they live. That would be a big boon for the residents in the area who at the meeting last night spoke out and also complained about issues with parking and traffic. Um, some also feel it's a necessary step to develop this area around the city's only BART station and that this is an opportunity to bring in revenue from those commuters. So what are the next steps? So the commission, the planning commission, they provided a recommendation last night. Their vote does not guarantee any approval for the project whatsoever. It's just a recommendation to the city council. One commissioner even said last night that regardless of what the commission 
did, whether they voted to approve it or not, it's still going to go to the city council. It's really going to be their decision. So at a future date, it's not quite sure what date that will be yet, but sometime in the future, the city council is going to vote to either approve the project or deny it. An amendment to the commission's recommendation last night as well also asked that a timeline for construction be included in the council's consideration, because um, that's also a big unknown with this is if this was approved, how long would it actually take to build out? Yeah, it's hard to see how this can be seen as the best path forward for anyone other than the property owner. I mean, if the development project would become taller and denser, they'd be able to achieve more space for the vendors. This is near BART station, so the density would be warranted. Another item that struck me watching the planning commission meeting is the flea market consultant was allowed to talk during the deliberation process the same way Carl Gardino was during the natural gas ban council item. Mm-hmm. The optics are bad for the planning commission that the landowners lobbies can talk whenever he wants, but the public's limited one minute. Yeah, they even had to um, step in a couple times when the commission was discussing. This was, I believe, after public comment. Um, that representative was ready to speak on a couple things, and they had to tell him a couple times, like, please let city staff answer these questions. Yeah, it's it's that's that's kind of stuff that just, you know, disenfranchises the community wanting just have their say in the matter. And Obviously, the communication's been poor, so it'll, I think the city council meeting is going to, if it was a in-person council meeting, it would, it would be full. Yes, definitely. So our next story today is we'll be talking about the Valley water rate increases. What was Mayor Sam Licardo's position on the rate hikes? So he's pretty much opposed to the rate hikes, um, as well as a larger project, the Pacheco Dam project. Um, he says it's too expensive and provide little benefit to city residents. Um, beyond just Licardo as well, the entire San Jose City Council unanimously voted uh, in April asking Valley Water to stop rate increases. Uh, unfortunately for them, Valley Water is an independent agency, so it doesn't actually have to follow any of the city's requests. And as we know now, they're moving forward with those rate hikes. So besides Pacheco Pass's project, what other projects are being funded? Uh, there's a couple proposals there. Uh, one is about increasing the height of the dam at Los Vaqueros Reservoir in Contra Costa County. The other is raising the uh, dam at San Luis Reservoir near Gilroy. Those are the big ones. Why is the Pacheco Pass project so controversial? So one big controversy with the Pacheco Dam, it might even be the main controversy, is the price tag. Uh, it's estimated to cost $2.5 billion. The price was a little lower before, but a study showed that deeper excavations are actually going to be needed if they build the dam's foundation at the current proposed site in Pacheco Pass. Uh, increasing the price even further is the need for a reconstructed spillway because the rock quality in the area isn't up to code or up to speed, whatever they need, um, as well as a longer construction timeline. Uh, project managers currently think it'll take about eight years to complete the dam, but a previous estimate showed only five years. So, you know, I think that the longer this goes on or the longer this process just plays out, we could even be looking at longer than eight years. Yeah, it's those projects never go on time and as planned. And between that and the, you know, I know it's not comparable projects, but the Apple spaceship project started off as what, 2.5 billion and it's Apple and it went up to 5 billion. So it's, I, I do understand the, the concern for that. So how far reaching is the Valley water rate hike? And also who do they provide water for in the region? So the Santa Clara Valley Water District is the wholesale water provider for the county. They serve uh, the San Jose Water Company, the San Jose Municipal Water System, and the Great Oaks Water Company, who then turn around and sell the water to residents. So there's a good chance that if you get water in the San Jose area, you're probably gonna be seeing some rate hikes in the near future. 
if Valley Water is raising rates, it's almost assured that these other companies are going to increase theirs as well. Uh, so Valley Water voted to raise their rates up to about 9.1%. Um, that's estimated to be a monthly increase of about $4.30 to just over $5 a month. But the catch there is that's expected to steadily rise over the next decade. The monthly impact to the average household is estimated to be an additional $9.32 by the year 2031. These rate hikes are going to go into effect on July 1st. Plans were actually uh, originally for the rate increases to take place last year, but they were put on hold due to the pandemic. Now Valley Water said it needs to act more urgently with the imp impending drought. Um, they also state that increased rates will help the district purchase water and fund those infrastructure projects, those dams that we were talking about earlier. You know, unfortunately, water issues in Silicon Valley need to be addressed or we're going to be facing dire consequences. Seems to me that we lack easy choices and it's better to start the tougher projects before the situation gets worse. Yeah. And, you know, I also think that there's the public perception as well. There was the whole Oroville Dam issue that happened um Geez, it was probably a few years ago now. I know that there's similar concerns about the Anderson Dam in Morgan Hill. That's actually close to where I am. Um, so I don't know where exactly that stands on the project list, but I know that that's also in the public eye. So our next story on this podlight is the code enforcement backlog for the city of San Jose. So what's the background on this story? Yeah, so just like other city departments, um, during the pandemic, COVID-19 really impacted code enforcement operations. The department was originally deemed non-essential back uh, early in 2020. Staff were really only allowed to conduct emergency level inspections. That's things like sewage leaks, things that really are like an emergency situation. The city later expanded that so that staff could conduct priority inspections. That includes like building code violations as well as illegal occupancies. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that the pandemic affected their work. So is there a timeline for that to kind of subside or, you know, is it going to continue to affect their work? Well, there's a couple things going on here, and I think that that will really determine how long this is an issue for the department. The main way that the pandemic impacted the department is a complete backup in complaints. Um, earlier this week, there were over 3,500 open, unresolved complaints. Those can take some time to resolve, um, depending on the issue. So issues like illegal dumping, that can be resolved with like within 45 days. Something like zoning violations, where a business isn't operated, uh, or I'm sorry, Something like zoning violations in which a business operates where it's not permitted, that can take up to six months. That's not even looking at building code violations where someone builds a structure without a permit. Those can take up to six months to a year to resolve. Uh, on top of that, with those unresolved complaints, there's also been a shortage of inspectors. The department has some vacancies because some personnel were reassigned to provide emergency services during the pandemic. Um, our reporter who worked on this story earlier this week, they spoke to a manager in the code enforcement department who said about 14 inspectors were deployed to inspect homeless shelters and food banks last year, as well as reaching out to businesses to ensure that they followed COVID guidelines. Um, the department is working on whittling down those unresolved complaints. They have some new tools like a video inspection service that actually allows tenants, business owners, property owners, even contractors um, they can guide inspectors through a site uh, using Zoom. How is this department funded? So part of code enforcement's $12 million budget actually comes from the city's general fund, um, but a good portion of their budget comes from fees attached to specific programs. For example, uh, the division's multiple housing program, that's where officials routinely inspect buildings with three or more housing units, so something probably like an apartment complex, um, that's funded by residential occupancy permit fees. The general fund money is still important, though. Um, one department spokesperson actually said that the, uh, the general fund money can be used to hire more staff to respond to complaints. 
What is the community's perception of this issue? Uh, so residents are definitely frustrated with this delayed response from the department. Uh, our reporter spoke to one resident who shared his experience of trying to report unpermitted construction in his area last year. He said the entire process took about three months from when he first called in the complaint to when he actually saw the unpermitted construction cease. Um, that resident said that when he actually saw the code inspector, he was at a neighboring house uh, next door, and that he got the impression that the code enforcement worker was just overwhelmed with the amount of work to do. Yeah, that's a real unfortunate situation. And, and it's just, you know, the community, I think, really appreciates what's gone on with COVID and everything they're doing there. But it's, you know, it's a quality of life issue. And just like with the dumping situation, it's, it's something that, you know, they just need to kind of get a handle on. Yeah, I mean, those complaints are only going to keep going up. The longer they take to resolve them, they're just going to keep adding up. And before you know it, they're, they're just going to be behind the eight ball on this. It will be interesting to see if this is addressed in the city of San Jose's budget study session next week. Yeah, I, I think we're all eagerly awaiting to see what happens there. This is, uh, like I said, that money from the general fund going to the code enforcement. It's not just code enforcement. It's a lot of other city departments, too. So, um we might end up seeing code enforcement and some other departments duke it out to see who actually is going to get the funding that they need to do their jobs. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting process. Well, again, thank you for joining me, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me. This episode of the Podlight is brought to you by San Jose Spotlight, the city's only nonprofit community-supported newsroom. We need your support to continue providing independent political and business reporting to the nation's 10th largest city. Becoming a sustainable member today for as little as $5 a month and you'll receive exclusive member benefits, including free admission to our educational events, panel discussions, and more. You can sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Spotlight, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Join the movement today. Learn more at SanJoseSpotlight.com. That's SanJoseSpotlight.com. This has been The Podlight, a collaboration between Silicon Valley Synergy and San Jose Spotlight. I'm Bob Stedler. We'll see you next week.